Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, last week I announced that we would be departing from our regular systematic study of Ecclesiastes. And I had originally planned to spend several weeks looking at those passages surrounding the Savior's birth. And I found that we have more to say about this than we have time. Um, next Sunday, we were going to do one thing, and I've, I've switched it up. Be next Sunday, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That'll be our text. And I'll tell you that so that you know what to expect. Um, this morning, the message may be a little different. Uh, in its style and in its presentation. There's a lot of information that we want to go through, but uh, today we will consider one who is present at the birth of Jesus. Uh, there are many people in the text of Scripture and the passages around the incarnation of Jesus' birth, uh, the, the birth of the Savior. And some of these characters of Scripture are just wonderful to, to, to think about, to read about, to consider. I love Simeon and Anna. Um, Simeon was the man, and, and Anna the woman, and they were not married. They were just uh, both there and saw Jesus at the temple when he was brought in as a baby. Simeon, the Bible tells us, was known as a righteous and devout man. That's quite a reputation. Wouldn't it be wonderful to die and have that be your epitaph, a, right, a devout and righteous man? Simeon had waited for the coming Messiah. He called it the consolation of Israel. He had waited, and Scripture tells us it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So Luke chapter 2 cites that when Simeon saw the baby Jesus, he picked him up in his arms and he said, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. That is, I can die now, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your gospel, the glory of your people, Israel, I apologize. Many people in Scripture saw the Christ child when they heard of the birth of Jesus, they spoke and many of them spoke in, in verse. They spoke in what is called a song, uh, though, though it may or may not have been sung. We have these songs of Scripture. We just heard what is referred to as Simeon's song. And there was a song from Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. There was the song of the angels. Today we turn to Luke 1, and our text will include the song of Mary, and the song of Elizabeth. And this morning we will focus on Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ. Um, so we'll turn to Luke 1. We'll begin reading in verse 26 and we'll read all the way, we'll read 30 verses, all the way to 56. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto, the city of, unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, verse 28. And the angel came in unto her and said, um, Thou art favored, highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Behold, thou art, uh, blessed art thou among women. I apologize. I'm having trouble with uh, 
making the words in my mind. I, I'm thinking ahead, so forgive me. Verse 29. And when she saw him, she was troubled. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel of the Lord said to her, fear not. Here's what I'm thinking. I, I apologize. It's not in my notes. This may be the longest sermon we've ever heard. Who knows? Wednesday night, somebody, we were talking about angels and what angels look like. Um, there's not a time in scripture that people have seen angels that the angel did not have to say, don't be afraid. What a sight. I, I, I can't tell you what the sight is, but what a sight. Verse 30, the angel said to her, fear not. Mary, thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Then Mary said unto the angel, how shall these things be? Seeing I have not known a man. Verse 35, and the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Verse 37, for with God nothing is impossible. And Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste into the city of Judah and entered into the house of Zechariah and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost and she spoke, a with a, she spoke out with a loud voice saying, Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed. For thou shalt be a performance of those things which were told her of the Lord. Verse 46 begins, Mary's song are called the Magnificent. You may have heard it called that. Verse 46, and Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done great things to me and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon them that fear him from generation to generation. 
He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their heart. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent away empty. He hath helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke the, as he spoke to our father, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Mary abode with her about three months and returned to her own house. May God bless the reading of his word. God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to be our teacher today, to remove from us false teachings, wrong teachings, and, and instill in us, place in us, and grow in us the true doctrine of Scripture. Help us by your word to increasingly love and submit to Christ our Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is a central figure in the story of the incarnation and often central in people's minds during the Christmas season. Today, we turn our attention to Mary to see what we can learn from Scripture. Before we see what we can learn from Mary, we're going to spend some time, a lot of time, uh, considering some of the popular yet erroneous things People believe about Mary. If you've never heard a sermon on false doctrine, you're going to hear one today. We're going to talk about a lot of false doctrine. It is important to us as believers in Jesus Christ that we get Mary right. It is important. Error concerning Mary has led so many to false beliefs about Jesus. And to false belief about the salvation that Christians have through him. So today we consider the unbiblical things that are said and taught about Mary. And then we see what scripture has to say. We'll consider five unbiblical teachings concerning Mary. Then we'll see what we learn from the biblical record and how we may be challenged in our walk with Christ by observing her response to God. As we consider these unbiblical teachings about Mary, we have to acknowledge at the outset that there are not many Bible passages which speak about Mary. There's just not a lot of data. Even if you do a word search in your Bible software program for the word Mary, uh, someone has counted six women in scripture named Mary. So we would have to narrow that. And by the way, that's not a lot of scripture. And then we have to narrow that even further to get to the Mary that we're talking about, the mother of Jesus. We can say that where the Bible does speak about Mary, we see great detail. And, and what's presented for us is very interesting and very profitable information. Now look at the first two verses of our text today and consider all the detail that it contains. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into the city uh, into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So we learn just in these first two verses the time frame, the angel's name, the region was Galilee, the city was Nazareth, the woman was named Mary, she was engaged to a man named Joseph. We learn that Joseph was of the lineage of David. We learn a lot of stuff just in these first, first verses. The Bible gives us a great deal of data 
packed in here. Though there's not many verses about Mary, what we do have is uh, in great detail. But as we consider these five unbiblical teachings concerning Mary today, we will not necessarily have texts of scripture for each of them. And when I say not necessarily, I've read the entire sermon. I mean, not at all. We'll not have texts of scripture. Some of the errors concerning Mary are certainly from wrong interpretations and exaggerations of biblical texts. But often these errors concerning Mary have grown up from folklore and from the imaginations of men. Five unbiblical teachings about Mary. Unbiblical teaching number one, Mary's perpetual virginity. Mary's perpetual virginity. This is unbiblical and false teaching about Mary that has been held by some since the fourth century. Since the fourth century. This is not only <laughs> held by the Roman Catholics. That there are many Lutherans who hold to this uh, belief as well. And there surely are others but this has been held since the fourth century. So we immediately see that this was not a teaching. This was not a doctrine during the life of Jesus or during the life of the apostles. It was over 300 years afterward that this teaching about Mary's perpetual virginity was invented. The idea of perpetual virginity came about because of some other false teachings which stemmed from Gnosticism. The Gnostics were, were likely the ones that Paul spoke of in Scripture who were forbidding marriage. Uh, the Gnostics believed that physical things were evil, that sex, physical relationship between a man and his wife was sinful even within the confines of biblical marriage. And this idea leads to the saying that that. Uh, leads to, to those saying that if Mary had been with Joseph, even after they were married, even after Jesus was born, it would have somehow been sinful and would have defiled Mary. So they hold to her perpetual virginity, that she kept herself a virgin, that Jesus was born, and then even after being married to Joseph, she still kept herself a virgin for the rest of her life. But we know, Christians, that the Bible teaches no such thing. The Bible does not teach us that a sexual relationship between a man and his wife is sin. The Bible teaches quite the opposite. The body, Scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and, and then in chapter 7, it addresses these things. It says the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And then later it continues because of sexual immorality. Each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The Bible teaches that we should have this. And then Hebrews 13 is that familiar verse of Scripture that we know. The marriage of uh, that marriage is honorable in the sight of the Lord and the marriage bed is undefiled. So the Bible doesn't teach that this is sin. It teaches that this is honorable and undefiled before the Lord. So this false teaching of Mary's perpetual virginity, uh, I believe, is trying to rescue Mary from a sin which the Bible clearly teaches is not a sin. We also see from Scripture that Mary's perpetual virginity is not true, 
Matthew 1, verses 24 and 25. is from the New American Standard. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and they called his name Jesus. He kept her a virgin until, until, and until indicates for us there that there was an end to her virginity and that was after the birth of Jesus. Scripture also speaks to us about brothers of Jesus and some of those brothers of Jesus are named. There are also sisters mentioned, unnamed. These references are found in all four gospels, in Acts, in Galatians, and in 1 Corinthians, not just one verse. Many verses that speak about brothers and sisters for Jesus. Trying to maintain the false teaching of Mary's perpetual virginity has given rise to theories that you have likely heard. Have you heard anyone say, you know, Joseph was quite a bit older than Mary? How do we get that? Here's how we get that. In order for Jesus to have brothers and sisters, Joseph must have been a widower and had kids from a previous marriage. So Joseph was quite a bit older than Mary. That's, that's where that comes from. There's no reason, though, for us to believe anything other then this was the first marriage for Joseph and for Mary and that Jesus was the oldest child in their home. First biblical unteaching. First un... Well, first unbiblical teaching. Maybe that's what we're trying to do today in a sermon, right? Is biblical unteaching. <laughs> biblical unteaching. But the first unbiblical teaching about Mary is her perpetual virginity. Secondly, we consider the unbiblical teaching of the immaculate conception immaculate conception perhaps you've heard that term and perhaps you thought well wait a minute isn't that term immaculate conception referring to the sinless conception of jesus in the womb can i tell you this many people believe that's what it is about and it is not if, if the doctrine of immaculate conception was about the immaculate conception of jesus christ we'd be on board for that but that's not what this doctrine is about it's about the immaculate conception of mary which according to the teaching rendered her without original sin and incapable of sinning. Listen to this statement from the Roman Catholic Catechism. Get ready. Finally, the Immaculate Virgin preserved free from all stain of original sin when the course of her earthly life was finished, she was taken up body and soul into heaven into heavenly glory and exalted by the Lord as queen over all things. Right there you see, well, we can cite Acts 10, 36, Jesus Christ, he is king of kings and Lord of all. Several other texts proclaim Jesus as king of kings and Lord of lords. He is king over all, not Mary. That same catechism also refers to Mary as the All-Holy One. If you are interested in references, I have footnotes on these sightings. It mentions her as the All-Holy One, but we know that God alone is good. Isn't that what he told the rich young ruler? God alone is good. God alone is holy. And Christians are commanded and enabled to live lives of holiness only because God is holy. What's the command? Be holy, for I am holy. 
Even those who wrote this doctrine and, and agreed with this doctrine, they acknowledge that it is not taught in Scripture, the Immaculate Conception of Mary. Nevertheless, it has been kept alive for centuries by the Roman Catholic Church through what they refer to as the infallible church tradition. Of course, we know that only the 66 books of the Old and New Testament are infallible and not papal decrees because that's just mere meaning. This doctrine was only confirmed by the Roman Catholic Church as, quote, revealed by God through Pope Pius IX in 1854. I don't know if I've shared with y'all, uh, I preached somewhere, I, I preached in Conroe, and a lady came to me and said, man, I love hearing the new stuff. And I was afraid. If a preacher's preaching new stuff, he's off. That's not what she meant. She meant new to me. That's what she, that she meant. I had not heard of that. This, this stuff comes up in 1854 and is accepted, but we who believe the Bible is the only rule for faith can quickly understand that this doctrine is in conflict with other teachings of Scripture, which tell us not that Mary was born without sin and incapable of sinning, but that there is in Romans 3 none righteous, not one. Again, Romans 3, 23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. That is the standard of God. And that includes Mary. Mary was a sinner. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 speaks of Jesus as him who knew no sin. And it is clear the implication of that text is Jesus is the only one who is without sin. The idea that Mary was conceived in a sinless state steals glory from Christ. Because sinlessness belongs uniquely to Jesus. Only Jesus was born without the involvement of an earthly father, with an earthly man. That is to say, he had no human father. And, and that inherited sin record and that inherited sin nature, which is passed down to every one of us through our fathers, was not passed to Jesus making him the only one who knew no sin, the only one who can redeem sinners from sin, from the curse of sin and the wrath of sin. Third unbiblical teaching about Mary, she was not a perpetual virgin, she was not immaculately conceived. And thirdly, is the assumption of Mary, we'll only spend just a brief moment here, the assumption of Mary is the teaching that says that Mary ascended bodily into heaven. We just read that from that, uh, that statement from the Roman Catholic Catechism, that she ascended bodily into heaven at the moment of her death and sits at the right hand of Jesus. John 3.13 says, only Jesus ascended into heaven. No man hath ascended into heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. This teaching also diminishes the glory of Jesus. It does that. You know, I said that, and I, I read it incorrect. I wrote it down because I corrected myself when I wrote, I wrote, this diminishes the glory of Christ. No, it doesn't. It, it seeks to diminish the glory of Christ. It seeks to diminish. We cannot diminish the glory of Christ. Jesus alone sits at the right hand of God. Next unbiblical teaching we'll consider is Mary as Redeemer. In 
in my view, this is perhaps the most egregious of these false doctrines because it attacks the fundamental teaching that the only redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ. As far as I know, the Romanists are the only ones who teach that Mary participates with Jesus in restoring supernatural life to souls. They refer to Mary as co-redemptrix. I have some quotations. In the Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma, we read this. Mary made atonement for the sins of man and on behalf of others merited the application of redemptive grace of Christ. In this manner, she cooperates in the subjective redemption of mankind. Pope Pius IX said, the most holy virgin, united with Christ by a most intimate and indissoluble bond, was with and through him eternally at enmity with the evil serpent. Just to pause there, I don't know how he could say that Mary was at eternal enmity with the serpent without implying that Mary is eternal. I don't know how you can do that. An eternal enmity with the evil serpent and most completely triumphed over him, thus crushed his head with her immaculate foot. Again, from the catechism, it speaks about Mary. It says, you conceived the living God and by your prayers will deliver our souls from death. Also from the catechism, by her manifold intercession, she continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation. Therefore, the Blessed Virgin is invoked in the church, or she is called under the title in the church, Advocate, Helper, Benefactress, and Mediatrix. Advocate, Helper, Benefactor, and Mediator. And they feminize those last two words. Brothers and sisters, Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved than Jesus Christ. John the Baptist said of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Peter says only of Jesus, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Genesis prophesied of the seed of the woman, not the woman, but the seed of the woman who will bruise the head of the serpent, who will crush that serpent. John's gospel records the words of Jesus saying, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. John's gospel also says this, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. First John 2, 1, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father, Christ Jesus, the righteous. He is our advocate. John 14, 6, I will at Jesus praying here. I will ask the father and he will give you another helper that he may come to be with you. The word another. I will ask the Father. He will give you another helper. Another means a helper of the same kind. So our helper, God the Son, requested of God the Father to send another helper of the same kind, God the Holy Spirit. 
First Timothy 2 5 for there is one God and one mediator between God and man the man Christ Jesus I love that it just doesn't say there's one mediator and leaves us no in case you miss the rest of scripture it's Jesus Christ the man Christ Jesus is our one mediator to say that Mary is co-redeemer is blasphemous and seeks to diminish the glory of Christ finally we consider the fifth and final unbiblical teaching is Mary as intercessor the idea is that we pray to Mary and then Mary prays to Jesus some will, will cite as, as uh, an example of this the miracle for Jesus' first miracle where he turned water into wine. Mary came to Jesus and requested of him that here's the problem. They've run out of wine. Can you solve this? Mary made that request. And, and apparently the bride, grew, or the bride had come to Mary and told her of the problem. And then Mary came to Jesus. So then they say, well, isn't that, isn't that the way it should work? Mary has more influence over Jesus than you do. Again, from the Roman Catholic Catechism, because she gives us Jesus, her son, Mary is the mother of God and our mother. We can entrust all our cares and petitions to her. Is anybody thinking cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you? That's scripture. This is the thoughts of a man. We read in the same catechism. Or we read it earlier. By her manifold intercession, she continues to bring us the gifts of salvation. That catechism says that Mary is the perfect orange. That's the perfect offerer of prayers. If you're going to get somebody to pray, Mary is the perfect one. When we pray to her, we are adhering with her to the plan of the Father who sends his Son to save all men. Pope Leo XIII, when speaking about the rosary, said, And no man goeth to Christ but by his mother. However, Scripture teaches us that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. One mediator, Jesus, not Mary. Jesus, he said of himself, No one comes to the Father, but through me. No one goes to God, but through Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 34. Christ Jesus is he who died, yea, rather, he who was raised, he who sits at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. He is our intercessor. <clears throat> Hebrews 7, 25. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. John 14, 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Not if you ask anything in the name of my mother. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. 1 Corinthians 1, 2, the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, we pray to him. We pray to him directly through his blood and by the Spirit. John 7, 37, now on the first day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me 
and drink. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So we've considered five unbiblical teachings concerning Mary, and I'll add very quickly a sixth that we kind of read right past. That's the teaching that Mary is the mother of God. Now we sang about, uh, we sang a song, the second song we sang this morning, if you look back at it, it speaks of Jesus, and it speaks of him as a creator of all things. He is the creator of all things. Jesus has existed for all eternity with no beginning and no end. He is the creator of all things. Therefore, Mary was created by Jesus. She came from him. She is not the mother of God. She is, according to his humanity, the mother of Jesus. And we want to be very Careful! I, did you did you catch that pause? I had to pause. I had to take a beat to get that because I want to say it accurately. Mary is, according to his humanity, the mother of Jesus. She is not the mother of God. In preparing for this sermon, I, I honestly felt dirty and defiled just reading about Mary presented as sinless, co-redeemer, co-mediator. An intercessor. Mary was a mere human, and to attribute to Mary the unique characteristics and attributes of Jesus Christ is to exalt her as a kind of other God, unless you think, oh no, that's not what they're doing. That's exactly what they're doing. Mary is referred to as a deity. And doing this is to rob glory from the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I said earlier, I think it's nothing short of blasphemy. Now, the text we read this morning, we read a lot of good information, biblical information about Mary. Verse 47, Mary said, And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Mary's not a Savior. Mary herself needed a savior. Only sinners need a savior. And Mary is fully human and only fully human. Christians should not, cannot, and do not worship her, pray to her, or attribute any of these unbiblical things to her. To worship a mere human as a deity. We, we've seen that, right? We've seen that in the movies. And we've seen that in cults. To worship a mere human as a deity is idolatry. It's a violation of the commandment of God. And it's getting late. So I will say here, however, and we've talked about all this unbiblical teaching about Mary, and then you say, however, well, we have to say, however, because there is a danger in our church. We, we are people who, who tend to extremes. There's a danger in our church and there's a danger in other Christian churches who reject the unbiblical teachings about Mary. The danger is that we would swing the pendulum to all the way to the other extreme, to go from the ditch of error on one side of the road, overcorrecting all the way into the ditch on the other side of the road, ignoring and avoiding and failing to benefit from the 
incredible influence and example that we have from Mary, not only Mary, but from Mary in Scripture. Mary is an important and significant human. We can and we should respect her. All should call her blessed. Verse 20 of our text, she has God's favor. The angel said to her, greetings, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Just like I encouraged you to have a, a type of respect for Simeon because he was a devout and righteous man. Let us have respect and honor for Mary because she was highly favored and the Lord was with her. Mary was a favored one. She was a recipient of the grace of God, not a distributor of the grace of God, but a recipient of the grace of God. And this is not because she was sinless that she received the grace of God. It's not because of anything in her, anything that it's not because of what she was. It's because of who God is. Mary received God's grace just like every one of you who have come to faith in Christ have received the grace of God. And then the task that God called upon Mary to complete, being the virgin who would carry the Christ child, and, and while you think initially, maybe, wow, what an honor. <laughs> and, and yes, that's true. But now think about the shame and the ridicule that would accompany her pregnancy as she said to people, I'm a virgin and I'm eight months pregnant. Keeping herself a virgin until after the birth of Jesus. The, the, the task that was laid upon her, these were not easy and insignificant things for her to do and for her to carry. She was asked to do far more than most of us will ever be asked to do. And she didn't have a chance to say, can I think about this and let you know tomorrow? She didn't have that opportunity. This was foisted upon her, as it were. And here's how we can learn from Mary. When this comes to her and is presented to her by the angel, how did she respond to this special yet difficult call that God had given her? How, could, how did she respond? She surrendered. She obeyed God without delay and with a thankful and humble attitude. Read again Luke 1 verse 46. And Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. This is her response. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaid and I am just your servant. For behold, from whenceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Church, we should call her blessed. Verse 49. For he that is mighty hath done great, hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. She calls the hard things that were laid upon her to do in service to God great things done to her. And then she says, Holy is his name. She submitted and she worshiped. She saw her service to God as service to God's people. Those lowly who he had exalted. And she was one of those lowly who he had exalted. 
Verse 53, he that filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent away empty. He hath helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy and he, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. She recognized the virgin born baby is the Messiah. So we've talked about this before. The song Mary, did you know? Yes, she knew. She knew, Elizabeth knew, everybody knew. Angels told her. She knew the virgin born baby that was to be born would be the Messiah and that this was the fulfillment of the promise for so many generations, for thousands of years. The prophecies were being fulfilled and she was right there at ground zero. We see her surrender in verse 38 and I'd ask you to look there if you still have your Bible open. When this is laid upon her, Mary said to the angel, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. I, I think we could we could summarize that in saying when this came to Mary, this news that she would she would carry the Christ child, she said, Amen. I, that's what that word means. Be it unto me. According to thy word, Christians, Mary is a great example for us in humble surrender and worship to God. What God has decreed is right. And what God decrees is good for those who love him. What Mary was asked to do, she did with she, she did readily. With good attitude, with thankfulness, with gratefulness, with humility. Christians, let's just be specific. Christian fathers, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Train up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands. And you take part in that train up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I know it's harder than, than doing it. It's harder than saying it. But here's the question. When you, when you hear that when, that, when that duty is laid upon you, Christian, do you say, be it unto me according to thy word? Do you pray with, do you pray with Augustine? Command what you will. But grant what you command. God, you've given the command, and it's it's only by your power. But with you strengthening, Amen. Mary's a great example for us in humble surrender to God. God works for his glory. And if you wonder what God's doing, that's what he's doing. He's working for his glory. Here's the here's the wonderful thing. When God works for his glory, Christians, it is always for our good. It is always for our good. May our prayer be today and for the rest of our lives in service to God as Mary's prayer, be it unto me according to thy word, according to thy will, according to thy sovereign decree. God, we pray that you would help us, your people, if we have allowed unbiblical false teachings to enter our hearts and minds, to enter into our process, God, we pray that you would remove those things from us. 
God, we pray that you would help us to learn from Mary. God, I pray for, for us here that thinking this is no, this, this message is no surprise to anyone here today. But we have friends and we have family. We have loved ones and neighbors and people that we work with who believe all of these things that we have spoken of as unbiblical <coughs> doctrine, as blasphemous doctrine. God, we need your help. We need your help because we would, would never and could never convince the soul of a person, but you can. You can convince them of righteousness and of judgment. You can convince them of error and of truth. God, help us, your people, as we speak to these who we love, help us to be gracious in our speech. Help us, give us strength and endurance that if this requires study and gaining knowledge, that we would, we would do that. But help us as we speak to the, to, to have our speech seasoned with grace. Help us to be, as we've, as we've been speaking of, salt and light. God, show us how to remove our the offense of ourselves at every turn. If, if your word offends, if the gospel offends, if Christ offends, then so be it. That is, that is your work, and we know that that will happen. But God, help us to not be an offense. God, we give you all praise. All glory as our Redeemer, as our Advocate, as our Helper, as our Mediator, as our Savior.